On this episode of Conversations with Cooler People Than Me, host Sarah Mason and guest host filmmaker Sergio Panero sit down with Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino to talk about his original score for the film Jojo Rabbit. Oscar, Golden Globe, Emmy-winning composer Michael Giacchino. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? It's such a pleasure to meet with you. Thank you for taking the time. We're here to talk about your work on Jojo Rabbit. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Although there's a lot of things I'd love to ask you about. (laughs) I mean, we'll get in a few other things, too. Uh, First of all, how did you get introduced to Taika? Did he just come to you? Yeah, he literally did. I I got a phone call one day, and they were like, uh, you know, Taika Waititi would like to speak to you. Would you mind jumping on the phone with him? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I have a million questions about what they do in the shadows and, and mm. hunt for the wilder people and, and, you know, all his stuff. I'm like, I was a huge fan of his work, uh, and how diverse and different it, it was. So I was, I was all in. I wasn't even sure what he was calling about. I mean, mm. I guess I assumed it would have been about some movie, but I had no idea what he was working on at the time. So you saw Wilder People. That's one of the. Oh my God. It's one of my favorite movies. Everyone needs to see love that it. film. Yeah, I agree. Sam Neill. Come on. Yeah. He can do no wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That guy is like, oh, he's incredible in that movie. That's good. One of the things that I'm sure this is something everyone says to you, but I immediately thought about Great Escape and Hogan's Heroes listening to the sound mm-hmm. of JoJo's theme, you know, yeah. kind of that bold, but also fanciful yeah and i'm wondering if that's why maybe you were picked because of the work you've done on things like up and ratatouille sort of well maybe i I, you know he did mention to me early on he was just like i have one request he goes remember how you made me feel in up make me feel that (laughs) make me feel that you know it was always about i think he knew you know the story he was working on and it was one that could be interpreted if you just explained it to somebody on the surface it sounds a little Odd, you'd be like, really? You're making a movie with Hitler. You're <laughs> playing Hitler, and there's comedy in this, and there. Okay, that's interesting. But if you really know what the film is about, it's those are the smallest parts of it, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 I think what he meant by that comment was to make sure that whatever we do, we never forget what this is really about. You know, and that's that's important to me. Whenever I work on anything, that is my number one rule. Don't forget what it's about, what you're working on. You know, don't I never want to write music that I just want to hear. The music I write has to, has to uh belong to that story. It has to be inspired by that story. It can't be uh oh, and this is a scary scene, so now you're gonna write scary music. Oh, and this is a sad scene, so you're gonna write sad music. It has to be this is a sad scene. I feel really sad. I cannot write anything but sad music. You know, like that's how it has to work for me as a as a as a composer. Um, so I'm always tracking that. That's that's what's important. So I had a question about um, say the influences, mm-hmm. particularly on this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I I know from just sort of history class how important music was to the Third Reich and yeah. like the Hitler Youth and mm-hmm. they had sort of songs and chants yes. that they would do. I'm curious if you delved into any of that as inspiration? Well, I definitely knew about all of that because I'm a huge history nerd and I, 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 I really I read a lot of things and I, and I you know, know a lot about World War II. But I, for me, 
I wanted to take that idea, exactly what you're mentioning. Like, you know, they would take these kids and they'd go to camps together. It was really like being in the Boy Scouts. And, you know, from the point of view of a 10-year-old kid, you're like, this is the greatest thing in the world. I get it, you know. You're out there and you're with your friends and you're doing whatever. Um, but I wanted to write something that would begin as one thing at the beginning of the movie and then end up as something else at the end of the movie. And the idea was, you know, and I needed lyrics for something. I wanted there to be kids singing it because I wanted to be through the voice of these kids. So I worked with this uh, lyricist that I love. Her name is Elisa Samsel. And my sort of conversation with her was, Elisa, we need to write something lyrically because we're going to use the same melody. I want to use JoJo's theme, you know, but lyrically I want to say – I want you to read these lyrics at the beginning of the movie and go, this is a fascist bunch of crap that I'm, you're, you're telling me with these lyrics. But then by the end of the movie, you should have such a different point of view that if you read the same exact lyrics, you will understand that you'd been hoodwinked into thinking that those lyrics meant something bad, something nefarious, something, you know, you know and, and I feel like words – our weapons, and there are people in in our circle out there today that are using words every day in the worst way possible. They twist them for their own good. And that's exactly what Hitler and people like him have done. They take words that you on the surface should be good, but they turn them to their own game. So the idea was that these lyrics, again, were sung by boys, and they sound like a German march in the very beginning. But then when we get to the scene in the middle, you know, towards the end of the movie where Jojo's stuck in that middle of that battle and he's looking around, his worldview suddenly just explodes wide open. And, and, and so you have the exact same lyrics but being sung by a boy's choir in a very elegiac way. And, uh, and now only then do you truly understand what those words mean. And that's that was that was the that's what I wanted to do. You know, I I couldn't help thinking this watching that and listening to your score is that scene, that unbelievable scene in Cabaret when they drive out to the German town and the boy, the Hitler youth sings tomorrow belongs to me. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing. Right. With so the you take lyrics. those words, right? Yeah. You know, uh, yes. In that from that perspective of a of a Nazi, of a young, you know, fascist. Yes, tomorrow belongs to me because mm-hmm. I I I I'm owed that. It's my right as mm-hmm. an Aryan. It's my you know you could you could really twist those words to to your own advantage, but that's not what that meant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's not truly what those words mean. And if you take the true meaning of those words, it's really about you know peace, understanding, acceptance, love, all of those things. And that's sort of what we have here in this in this. Uh, in this story. So is that what really attracted to you attracted you to the script? Yeah, definitely. The idea that, you know, that whole idea of going from an incredibly narrow worldview to a very wide worldview. Mm-hmm. That is important because I feel like that's something we need more now mm-hmm. than ever. And Absolutely. it's and it's it's weird like we say that, but I feel like God, it's you say the same thing over and over for for years and uh there's still as much hatred and racism and genocide going on in the world today as there was, you know, Back when we're looking at this, this the time period of this film that takes place in, uh, we just don't learn. We never learn. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important to keep shouting out about it and keep saying, putting things out into the world that say, that point it out, that call it out, and force people to talk about it. So you 
recorded at Abbey Road Studios, yes. uh-huh. which sounds exciting. I know, it sounds, I'm sure you've done it before, <laughs> yes, though, yes, given no, what I've the recorded work you've there, worked on. I've recorded there many times. I absolutely love that stage. And you know, There's a lot of great stages in the world to, to work on. Thankfully, I've, I've worked on many of them here in L.A., all the stages here, which I love, and they're, they're incredible. And Abbey Road is, is uh, just as great, and it also has that wonderful allure of the fact that the Beatles recorded everything mm-hmm. there, and I'm a massive Beatles fan. I mean, I think... You know, so much of what I do has been influenced uh, by many different people, but also, but but especially by them and their creativity. I, I just, I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, to be there in those walls, uh, recording where they they spent that, there's something magical about that. It must be, yeah, it must be. And you're the orchestra is only 35 people. I understand. Yeah. Talk about that decision. Just- I think you know, it's a it's a small smaller story it's a little boy you know who's at the center of it and a little boy doesn't have a 110 piece orchestra behind him or emotionally you know <laughs> they're not working with that yet so i felt like it was important to stay small and 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 keep it honed in and a lot of times you know you you're also restrained sometimes by budget and and what a film has to offer resource wise but that's never a hindrance. That's always, I think, an opportunity to do something more creative and f- figure out some uh, different ways to solve some pro- creative problems. Um, so working with a 35-piece orchestra, that's something I was not uh, – I've done that all – you know, Alias and Lost, basically, they both had basically a 35, 37-piece orchestra. And I did that for years. And you can get a big sound if you want it. Um, but it was about being intimate for this. It was, you know, the intimacy that that provided for us, I thought, I thought really helped the story. So I'd love to touch on really quickly just the, that pivotal scene, and I'll try to leave the spoilers out, but you know, mm-hmm. I think you'll know that the shoes. Yeah. So you're following the butterfly along, and that moment happens. And uh, first of all, I'd like to say I hated every one of you for putting <laughs> me in such a soul-crushing moment because <laughs> yeah. it was so heart-wrenching. Um, now, but at the same time, it really felt like everything was working in such a way to, to just bring you there. And then everything blows out from there. Yeah. Uh, it really felt like the nexus of that film. If you could talk a bit about the approach on that scene. That was a scene uh, we tried different versions of. You know, It was never wildly different, the different versions, but it was all these subtleties like, is it a little too fast? Does it feel a little too slow? Can we expand the cut? And it was a really back and forth between me and editorial, all of us trying to figure out what is the best version and do you keep in this shot or do we take that shot out? I mean, there was a lot. It was a very, 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 you know, gone over and over and over uh, scene just to make sure that it landed the way it needed to be. Um, and each version of it was emotional, you know. Each version of it was emotional. But it's about finding, okay, What's the least we can do and still make it feel that way? And I think that was the most important thing to do. What's the least we can do? Um, because that's a scene that you could easily over-emote on, uh, and all, on all fronts, on direct, directing, on sound, on, on music, and, uh, and even in editing. You could overdo the whole thing. So I think everyone was just trying to keep peeling away anything that you didn't need so that it would just be the truth of the emotion. You know, um, because so much of it was already there. The emotions are there, you know, and all we're doing is just gently underlining them. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's a tendency in in movies to underline a lot, you know, Sharpie, 
over and over and over, <laughs> you know? And, and that for me, that pushes me away when that happens. That makes me feel less emotional, you know? Uh, and uh, for me, I think the quieter you are, the more emotional it, it becomes. So, yeah, and, and, and I'm sorry to put you in that position of feeling that way. But no, uh, imagine us. We had to watch it over and over and over yeah. again. So it's no, it, like it's really The emotional really side yeah. was there, but, you know, it, it, it was so such a necessary thing, like yeah. that, that eye-opening moment. And, and, like, to your point, I think the thing that I respected so much about it was that it was so restrained, yeah. like you're talking about. And it was, it was beautiful Melon, very sadly beautiful. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a tough one to watch over and over, mm. but because uh, that that is that is what the whole movie is about. That scene. You have a guitar solo in mm-hmm. the theme for his mom, which is kind of unusual, I think. For I mean, it's not something I'm used to hearing. No, it's not something you generally associate with uh, World War II Germany. No. Uh, <laughs> that is that is definitely true. Um, it, it works. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think you know. There's there's. For Rosie especially, there were just very delicate guitar moments and also delicate harp, you know, just mm-hmm. single instruments that you just can can mm-hmm. say everything you need to say on their own. Uh, you kind of get spoiled sometimes working with a massive orchestra and, and really enjoying that giant sound, but you forget what one voice can do for something, just a single voice can do, you know. Uh, and it's like we were talking about earlier, stripping away everything you don't need just so that it is just that one single voice that you can focus on and listen to. Uh, and I think that that's, like a, that's a really important thing to remember when you're working in storytelling is economy of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You, know, you hear people talk about that all the time. It's the same thing with music. You know, the more economical you are, the better it is. And actually, you know, talking about Alan Silvestri earlier mm-hmm. before we started, I think he's really one of the best at that. He is so great at yes. being very simple. And getting across what he needs to get across uh, without overcomplicating things. And that's what, you know, the goal is to always do that, I think, in, in what we're doing. And I have to say, your work is similar in that it's diverse. And you go from a lot of different, I mean, this is a indie, you know, comedy, tragedy, drama, I guess. Yeah, what you yeah it's all it. of those things. But then, you know, you do your Doctor Strange yeah. and Spider-Man Homecoming. And, I mean, I will... I have to ask you about the Batman. (laughs) (laughs) You can ask. Can you say anything? (laughs) I can say uh, Matt is making the Batman. I am working on the Batman. Uh, And he asked you to do it on stage. Yeah, we were were at the Royal Albert Hall, and uh, I was doing a concert with my good friend David uh, Arnold. David Arnold is a great composer. You know, he's done uh, Independence Day, Stargate, Sherlock, Mm -hmm. tons of things. He's just brilliant. Um, but we're always making fun of each other on Twitter because, you know, we're doing that. And then one day the Albert Hall said, hey, you guys want to, you know, have a concert and decide who's better at the, you know? And we were like, sure, let's do it. So we had this ridiculous cage match concert. Uh, we came out in boxing clothes. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. You got to check it out. There. Check it out. It's all online. A lot of the, it's, it's insane. Um, but. Who won? Uh, you know what? The Draw. audience won. I like yeah. to think that the audience won that <laughs> night. Um but the you know Matt Reeves was in London as well at the time, and so he came to the concert, and I brought him up on stage, and and uh, yeah, he got down on one knee and proposed to me and asked me if I would <laughs> if I would if I would score the Batman uh, for him. So and you're not really, going to say no to that. No, 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 of course not. And I love working with Matt so much. He's he's such a he's such an amazingly uh, uh, just empathetic, uh, beautiful, kind person, and I love how that you know shows in his movies as well 
Well, talk, I mean, so obviously I know you can't talk too much about that, but talk about just your different approaches to the different types of films like Up, like Ratatouille, like, you know, the Marvel Universe yeah. things. Like how, well, do you, how do you approach them differently? I think, you know, they're always a reflection of how I feel about that movie. Whatever the music is, is my, my, my impression of that film or that story or that character. You know, it's, it's me doing, a, 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 you know, in visual terms, it's my sketch or my painting of, you know, Spider-Man. You know, mm-hmm. that's my version of it. You know, everyone's like, even with the Batman, people are, you know, well, you're going to use this theme, right? And that theme from this movie. And let's mm-hmm. don't forget that theme. And, and they're all wonderful themes and things that I love and I, I you know, respect. But we're making our version mm-hmm. of of. Batman. And that's really what you want to do in any of these things is do your version of it, you know, and uh, the moment you lean too much on everyone else is it becomes a little muddy, you know, so it's about finding the truth in in all of those things, whether it's a rat who wants to cook (laughs) or whether it's, uh, you know, Captain Kirk who wants to get on the Enterprise. They're all the same to me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no difference in how you approach writing for them. They're all it's all about that finding the internal character struggles to, that you can then empathize with mm-hmm. and, and then relate through music. How do you deal with that in terms of, I mean, particularly with the Batman, you know, Danny Elfman's original score is so iconic. Yeah, it's great. I love it. And then Hans Zimmer did his it's own great. thing, which is also great. All good. And so I, are you given the direction? Does Warner Brothers say, well, no, you no, got no, it? No, no, no. I, you know, if I, if there, I wouldn't work on a movie in which I was being told mm-hmm. a direction to go in by, you know, someone other than the director. That mm-hmm. is a relationship. When I work on something, it's between me and the director, mm-hmm. and that's where I want it to end. You know, when other people get involved, that's when things start getting blurry, and you end up with something that's just a big mess and has no, you, you know, has no point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like for me, it's important to work on a very one-on-one basis mm-hmm. with the director and maybe the producer too depending on who it is and you know because there's some amazing producers i've worked with that i love working with over and over just just you know and uh but the producer usually will have a good idea of what the director wants too and they're there to support what they, what they want so that's good uh i don't really care about the whole you know how they want to market it and all of mm-hmm. that that's that's you know that's that's their thing but i do believe in creating a unique version of something you know when it comes out yeah. uh you know, and that was, we struggled with that on Star Trek as well, you know, trying to make something that was its own thing. You know, of course, I love Alexander Carriage's theme and I use it at the very end credits because it's like, to me, it's not Star Trek without that somewhere. But, uh, but outside of all of that, it was all new things that spoke to what J.J. wanted to make, the story that J.J. was interested in telling. A question, so on the TV side, mm-hmm. you know, with, with uh, you've, you've, worked on some shows that have gone for many years yeah, and uh, you know, lost fringe being my personal favorite. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the show and what that did for sci-fi. Yeah. I think even sci-fi and TV. Uh, you can talk a bit about sort of you work on those over the course of years yeah. and how the process begins and then it inevitably must evolve as it goes along as characters change, appear, disappear. Yeah. And well, that's what's fun about it, actually. You know, I mean, if it, if it doesn't evolve or doesn't change, if there aren't new characters or situations or events or places, then you get into this, you're stuck, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's not interesting anymore, you know, least of all to me. You know, I can imagine what it's like for the viewers if it doesn't do that. Um, 
Lost probably was my favorite of all of the things because it really was this constantly changing, unfolding landscape of characters and things that they were going through. Uh, and it was probably one of the most emotional TV shows too because it allowed you to be in insanely scary and weird and, and off-putting, but also at the same time it never forgot where the heart was. And it was all about these relationships between these friends and these characters. Fringe was something that happened around the same time as Lost, uh, and I helped – kick that off uh but i couldn't be on that day to day just because i by the time i was doing lost i was doing uh movies as well um which were taking up my life um and chris tilton who who did most of uh fringe did an amazing job on that show and and i know he had a great time on it and i know that that show has a huge following because Mm -hmm. of the things you were saying the idea of bringing back that sort of science fiction back into television Mm -hmm. that sort of storytelling which was also character-based storytelling within a sci-fi world which was great um, so I think when you're working in television, something that is week to week, it's essential that it changes and evolves and morphs as we all do as humans mm-hmm. growing up. And, you know, you want, you want to see that growth. Uh, cause if you don't, then you, you end up losing interest. I uh, just bring it back to Jojo rabbit. Cause I know you wanted to ask about the, um, German pop music. Yeah. I know it's, it probably is a bit outside the purview of, of, of score, but mm-hmm. I was one thing that was kind of cool watching that. And you start to hear like the, the sort of German alt covers yeah. of uh, the songs and the, the one that the film ends with uh, Bowie's uh, Heroes. Yeah, it's great. And I actually, when watching the credits, it I don't know if I misread it or so, but it seemed like that version already existed that he actually did. Yeah. A, a German version. So yeah. uh, were the other songs also existing? Yeah, those or? are the Beatles singing, I Want to Hold Your Hand. It's mm. in German. That's actually their, their song. You know, and, and, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and those were all chosen uh, by Taika up front. You know, he had that in his plan to do it, which he's I thought— He's a great music director. Oh, yeah, I know. It's a, it's great a, with it's all a of that. brilliant, brilliant choice. And, uh, you know, when it, there was a time when it looked like they may or may not be able to use that, that, that song as the opening because you can imagine— it's hard to clear something like that for a film about Nazis, uh, but I think once everyone understood really what the film was about, it was it was it was not a problem. But it, you know, I couldn't imagine that film starting any other way, mm. you know, because that the, I, the taking those words, "I want to hold your hand," and putting that against sort of this whole uh, time period in history when Hitler and his fascist goons were, you know, you know, doing everything they could to convince people that they were the right way to go and they should follow them and you know, that they are basically the rock stars of their day, sadly. Uh, it was an incredible sort of uh, parallel to, to sort of how things can get out of control, you know, uh, without the right person uh, at the lead. And I just want to finally ask you, is there, I know you've got a lot on your plate. You're going to be doing the next Doctor Strange. You're going to be doing the Batman. Uh, is there anything that you personally or want to do like that you haven't done? Do you want to go back? Is there a TV project you want to do or are you just like inspired on the, I'm always working on the things that I want to work Mm -hmm. on, you know, always, always working on the things I want to work on. I, you know, I grew up making movies. I grew up since nine years old. That's all I did was make movies. Mm -hmm. And I went to film school and I did all that. So all my life I've been doing that. So I would like to do more of that, get back into doing that, Mm -hmm. making something. I, I, I did a, uh, a really fun short film with Patton Oswalt that I wrote and directed. And, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it'll be online soon. It's been through festivals and all of that. And Love Patton Oswalt. It? It's called Monster Challenge. Okay. And 
it's it's it was with Pat Oswalt, Ben Schwartz, Dermot Mulroney, Amy, Amy Brenneman, Tom Everett Scott, Benedict uh, Wong. Uh, like all, they're all wow. friends. They're all friends of mine, and I was able to say, "Hey, could you guys want to do this?" And they were like, "Sure, let's do it." <laughs> And, and, and God bless them because they were just like incredibly dedicated and so helpful and just were there and, and we had a blast doing it. And it's, it's, in, it's insane. You'll see it. But, uh, but, and I'm directing a, a Star Trek short at the moment as well uh, for them. And, and so I'm really am enjoying getting back into that and doing that again. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not that I, I would give up music. I would not give up music. Um, and I will still, and I'll score my own movies. So there you go. Uh, but I, I still love the people I work with on a regular basis. So I would not want to, I wouldn't want to stop that either. Well, your work on Jojo Rabbit is fantastic. And I suspect you're going to be hitting up some award ceremonies this year. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> Hopefully. It is what it Hopefully. is. You know, the more important thing is people like it and people take away the message that the film offers. And I, I feel like if that happens, uh, all the rest is meaningless. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I was going to actually throw in one final oh, thing. Do it. Sure. A friend of mine is a also composer named Austin Wintry. I know Austin. Yeah. And I was yeah. talking to him uh, and, and, uh, I was wondering if you might want to talk a little bit about the um, charity that you guys are both involved in called Education Through Music. Yeah, mm-hmm. Education Through Music is an incredible, incredible uh, organization. And what they do is, you know, at a time when uh, most schools' fundings are being stripped and gutted, uh, the first thing they go after is music and arts. It's gone, you know. Uh, and, and so these kids are left without, you know, one of the wheels of the car to move forward with. And I feel like, you know, in terms of education, education – they always speak about well-rounded education. Well, you can't have a well-rounded edu- education without music and art. That has to be a part of it. That has to be as equally important as science, history, uh, math, all the others. You know, And when you take a piece of it away, you're robbing a child the opportunity to, to be a well-rounded human being. Mm. Um, so what this organization does is they go to schools that have been cut. Their funding has been cut, and they put in new teachers. They, they create a music program and pay for it so that the kids at that school can still have uh, a music education. So, which I think that's really important and it's incredibly, you know, you, again, we want the best people in this world and the only way to do it is to educate them on all fronts. How can people find out about this? Education through music, LA, I think.org. If you just Google education through music, LA, I bet you'll find it and go there and check it, it out. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Thank you, Michael Giacchino. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your time, and it was a pleasure to meet you. Talk to you soon. Visit thehmcnetwork.com for more great podcasts and to subscribe to our mailing list so you never miss an update. Yeah.